Okay, welcome. Hello, Brian. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for your patience tonight. And that uh, was fun. <laughs> it is fun. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for finding your way back in and for uh, ah, being here and giving us your time tonight. I'm so excited to interview you. I love the Awakening Games. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. Well, let, let me read a little introduction from your new book, Awareness Adventures. And talks about the author, that's you. Brian Tom O'Connor is the author of Awakening Games, Playing With Your Mind to Create Joy, and is the co-host with Jonathan, Jonathan Robinson of the podcast, Awareness Explorers. <clears throat> He's also a singer, cabaret performer, and musical theater nerd. And more importantly, he's a formerly depressed guy who stumbled into the infinite joy of lying, joy lying at the heart of all experience, who loves to share this discovery with anyone who is interested. So what would you like to have us all know about you, Brian, before we get into it? <laughs> I used to be miserable and reclusive and uh, hostile, and now I'm pretty happy. That's that's really the main thing. I got into this looking for happiness, not necessarily looking for enlightenment. Beautiful. And so what was the original inspiration for your first book, Awakening Games? Uh, well, yeah, actually, I think I might have misspelled it in my bio. It's Awareness Games. Uh, and uh, uh, it's probably a typo. But anyway, uh, so... Um, you know, I was looking for, you know, I, I was acting in a play. It was called The Cherry Orchard by Chekhov. And after it was over, I was really depressed. And I had been depressed for decades. And I thought, oh, no, not again. Here we go again. And I went online and I, I just, I thought, I've got to be a different sort of person than I am. And so I typed in how people change. And it led me on a really wild goose chase of all different kinds of psychological and um, new age and magical stuff. And then, you know, through some great luck, I stumbled upon a website that had book reviews of I Am That by Nisargadatta Maharaj and, and, uh, and um, uh, Who Am I by Ramana Maharshi. And this was all about self-inquiry. And I started asking who am I? I started or, or meditating just on I over and over again. And I started to notice that there was this underlying happiness that wasn't related to external circumstances. And it wasn't related to whether my personality was different or not. So the, the, the irony of it all is that what I ended up finding wasn't what I was looking for, how to change myself. It was what I ended up finding was noticing that there's something that's already there. That's already allowing everything that it, that is, which is therefore unconditionally loving, which is therefore happiness itself. That's so beautiful. And it's so in alignment with what Awakening Together studies from all these masters, including the two that you mentioned, you know, Nizargadatta and Ramana Maharshi. That's just beautiful. 
Um, you mentioned too that Rupert Spira was an inspiration for oh. the Awakening Games. Could you speak more to that? Uh, absolutely. Um, but this was actually after I wrote uh, Awareness Games that I learned about Rupert. Um, my first teachers were uh, Pamela Wilson, uh, who was the first satsang I ever went to in New York, and uh, and uh, and uh, Stuart Schwartz and uh, Locke Kelly, I studied with, and and on Amazon, uh, I came across people who read this book also read, and there was a book by Rupert Spira. And so I went to his website to learn a little bit about him. And he talked also about happiness. He said that what people really want deep down is happiness. And he also talked about awareness. I mean, his basic teaching is be knowingly the presence of awareness. And then I found out that there was a group in New York that met every week at uh, Walter and Patricia's apartment and watched videos. And I just started going every week. And that was like five years ago. And now I'm co-host of the weekly Rupert Spira meetup with Walter that we do on Zoom because they moved out of New York. And, oh, and, and Rupert was the very first guest we had on Awareness Explorers because the podcast that we started with Jonathan Robinson started just with Jonathan and Jonathan and me talking to each other about awareness. And then we decided, why don't we invite a guest or two? And we were floored when Rupert said yes, because when I first asked him at one of his uh, workshops in New York, he said, thank you very much, but I I'm going to give it to my assistant, but she will probably say no, because I get asked so many times. And we got this email saying, Rupert would like to be on. <laughs> so I said, yay. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, you know, our um, founding minister, Regina Don Akers, also began her awakening games with Rupert Spira. It was in his book, The Transparency of Things. Yes. So I think that, that's very interesting. Yes. And so she's actually, Regina's actually continuing with a, a new, awake. she calls them awakening games, every week. Oh, wonderful. Yes. So your podcast, Awareness Explorers, is so amazing. I know um, our president minister, Jacqueline, she played a lot of those in the beginning of one of her programs. So could you speak a little bit more about the podcast and how that is evolved for you? Sure. Well, you know, it, it happened again through through good old Amazon. I don't mean to be a, uh, <laughs> to advertise uh, them, but, uh, you know, Jonathan Robinson stumbled upon my book. And Jonathan was a method junkie, self-described. Uh, and uh, he said, oh, wow, here's a book with a whole bunch of different methods. Because one of the things about awareness games is that one thing might work for one person and might not work for another person. Or one thing might work for yourself today and not tomorrow. So I just, I put in a whole lot of different ways to play, play with your own mind, to turn your attention back to the to the pure background. So he just emailed me out of the blue from on my website and say, hey, I'm gonna be in New York, love your book. Would you like to get together? And so we did, we had, we had uh, you know, dinner in a, my favorite Chinese restaurant here in New York and uh, we just hit it off. And he said, hey, you wanna you want to talk on Zoom? And I said, sure. And we started just having chats with each other every week. And then Jonathan said, hey, 
you want to turn this into a podcast? I said, sure. I have no idea how to do that. I just went on Google and did some research on how to create a podcast and somehow we figured it out and there it is. And we have now we're, I think we're about to publish our 125th or 126th episode. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. And, and the weird thing about it is I look back on all the work I put into it and it doesn't feel like work I put into it. It feels like it feel like it just sort of happened and used me. Yes. Yes, that's beautiful. It flowed through you. Yeah. And the meditations are just wonderful on, oh, on those you. podcasts. And Jonathan's going to be our um, satsang guest in March. Oh, good. Yes. Oh, he's a very dear friend now. I bet. So what's the difference between your first book, Awareness Games, and your new book, Awareness Adventures? Well, the first book was sort of like a big um, sort of list. Uh, I, I mean, it was sort of a collection of individual games. And I came up with the idea of games because I used to, when I was a kid, play in my mind with things like, what if there was nothing, you know, and see how that would make me feel. And, and then also my mother was a... Um, an acting coach and, and teacher and an actress, a professional actress herself. And she used to teach these things called theater games, which are ways of improvising about characters and relationships before you delve into the script. And so I decided to like sort of merge my sort of playful way of meditation with these theater games. And I thought, oh, let's just call them awareness games. But the first book is just a whole bunch of games. There's a little bit of intro and there's some tips at the end, but they're in no particular order. And so for the second book, I thought, well, let's do a few other things. Let's first talk a little about my personal experience with them. So there's more of that in there because people asked to hear about that. The other is they're sort of grouped a little more structured by category. Like there's a section about diving into the body. There's a section about identity. Uh, there's, you know, there's, so there's different, uh, so it's, it's structured uh, uh, so that the games and meditations are grouped around a subject. And uh, third of all, I decided to put in a few sort of philosophical observations that had occurred to me since I wrote the first one. So there's really two sides to the book. There's the, the philosophical, which is about non-duality, which is about what if there really is just one thing, the universe, who could I possibly be if there's only one? And then the, and then the practical part, which is things you can do to connect with joy that's in the background of experience. Beautiful. I love your new book. It's, as you say, it's, um, it's really categorized into specific topics. So you can go right, right. to a specific right. topic. Right. It's got ex experiential things. It's got meditations. It's got philosophical. I love it. Oh, thank you. So thank glad you. to hear. So what was the um, inspiration for using imagination in the book a lot of times you um from what i saw you encourage us to use imagination how does that inform how you do these games well it sort of goes back to like when i first would start 
when I was a kid using my own imagination to imagine like the example I gave, what if there was nothing? But it also comes around to when I first started to look into this, my mind would argue. Like, let's say someone would say, if you look out the window and you see a tree, that tree is really you, and it's not really out there, it's really in here. And my mind would say, well, no, it's not, and it would argue. And then I would realize, well, what if, instead of believing something to be true, I just imagined it? Like, what if it's the universe looking out my eyes right now? It's everything, just as it's looking out through billions of eyes simultaneously. Who cares what, you know, don't necessarily believe it's true because that activates up here. And that's not the part that knows the pure background. It's, it's here. We, we, we sort of sense it. And, and that sort of universal, uh, the ground of being, uh, that universal love speaks to us in a different language than the verbal mind does. And so using imagination is sort of a little bit of a way to sidestep that logical and now analytical mind and say, don't believe it, but just what if, what if it were true, how would you feel? Beautiful. Yes, I was going to ask you about that, saying with playing with what if, and yeah. it takes the pressure off the analytical mind. Yeah. whose job it is to figure stuff out. And it goes right for the direct experience to look beyond what the mind's thinking. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. In fact, you use the word experienceable, experienceable. <laughs> I, don't that, I don't know if that's a real word, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we that's talk about it. that a lot here, is the direct experience, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we, we usually filter everything through ideas of what should happen or what shouldn't happen or what happened in the past or what might happen in the future or what categories things fall into. And these are these filters that we have and they're actually, they're actually kind of like gauzy films that veil actual reality or direct experience as you put it. Yes, yes. Another thing, um you mentioned is humility is important. Now, thinking we know creates divisions in our mind. How does yeah. humility play with you and how, how your practice is? Well, that little thing, that little ego thing that says I'm special and I'm, uh, you know, different from everybody else is, is this idea. It's, it's just in the mind. And it, and it can be another one of those veils between you and just direct experience. So it's kind of like, what if I didn't know anything? What if I really didn't know? I mean, we, you know, I mean, it's such a trap that we all fall into uh, at some point during this sort of non-duality game. Oh, I've got it. I understand it. I understand the principles. I know how it works and I can I can say all the words and use all the terms and and words are there to make distinctions between things. So they can't possibly describe reality as it is and 
our ideas of ourselves are just ideas made of words. And so when we sort of say, okay, maybe I'm, you know, maybe it's not about how smart I am or how much I know because, and maybe it's about that what's looking out through your eyes is identical as to what's looking out through my eyes. Yes, that's beautiful. And that's how the awakening games really work for me is it gets it it brings comes at it from a different different way it brings this awareness into awareness this attention goes to awareness instead of what the mind's thinking and yeah. and if the minute i think i know everything closes down revelation can't happen that's right that's right yeah it's like it's like a you know we have this the world out there and we send information back and because we're so we're so focused on the outside the naming things and the categorizing things there there's just a one-way flow but when you turn your attention around and you touch just touch that background that 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 sort of pure feel it's like a mirror like a, a clear mirror that doesn't decide what to reflect when you touch it a two-way stream starts to happen and that that kind of joy and love starts flooding back into the individual personality and a lot of people think well you know the you know happiness for the individual personality isn't something you should go for and um i, I think that i think you can go for it and still connect with non-duality because the amazing thing about the, the big the big paradox is that non-duality includes duality it's not you don't say oh this is non-dual that's dual <laughs> it doesn't work like that excellent point and i love that touching touching the background yeah. yeah yeah like you create this little wormhole and it just just floods back it's just it's so cool. <laughs> and, and if you've done it once, you know, it might take, you know, weeks or months to do it again, but little by little, it gets easier and easier and quicker and quicker until you can just sort of do it at the drop of a hat many times throughout the day, whenever. Yes, another advantage of playing these games all day long. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. and, and also, I love um, how the how you described how when the mind describes something, then I don't see what's actually in front of me. You know, say I see a tree and then I define it. It's a, it's a ponderosa pine. It's got this going on. It's got go, that going on. Well, what can't I just see what is actually in front of me? It's an expression of life. That's right. It is life. And, uh, you know, I was listening to Angelo DeLulo. I don't know if you know of him. I think he's a wonderful teacher. And uh, he said, when you're looking or listening, you let the sounds replace you, or you let the forms that you're looking at replace you. And I thought that was a wonderful uh, metaphor. Like, so you're looking at that tree, and instead of saying, okay, that's something out there, as you mentioned, like, uh, like Shauna, you said, like the ponderosa pine, we love to categorize it. We just think, well, what if that that I'm looking at is me? And there again, it's imagination. It's what if you play you play around with it and see. 
Yes. Make it fun. That's another reason I love these games is this mind wants to be so serious about everything. So be a little less serious and be open to playing, to exploring, yeah. be childlike. That's right. That's right. Because you have to try for yourself to see, you know, and we usually, you know, think, okay, we're good. We have a master who is an enlightened master, and he's going to give us something that we don't have. And nothing against enlightened masters. I have so many, many teachers I love and admire, but I never got the sense that they gave me something I didn't have. They, they helped me turn my attention around to something that's already there. Yes. Yes, exactly. They're pointing it to us. We have to find it ourselves within ourselves. Beautiful. Right. And so a playful attitude helps you find it for yourself instead yeah. of like doing it the right way. Well, let's, let's see if I can do it my way. Let's, let's try. Let's play. Yes. Beautiful. So in the new book, you talk about the core wound, the idea of a core wound. Can you speak to that, please? Sure. Well, you know, the, 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 we have wounds that happen to us in early childhood. Things, you know, existential fears, fears of abandonment, fears of, 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 of losing our parents' love uh, that are so deep uh, and usually result in the core wound, which is that I'm bad, I'm no good, right? And that's, that's really there, and that's really hard to root out, and it causes a lot of problems in our lives because the, we have fears and we have things that we don't do because we're afraid of them. And, and um, one thing about this whole business is that Another thing that can prevent us from direct experience is when we decide we don't want to feel what we feel. We don't want to have our emotions. And because we have this idea that spiritual people just, you know, are happy all the time and they don't have emotions. And, but no, you have to sort of relax because emotions, they come and they go. They, they, don't, they don't want to stick around. They stick around when you clutch. Oh, I don't want to have that emotion. Then they just form a little eddy. They don't come in and they don't and, and they don't leave. So you have to be kind of porous. But when you get really down to the deepest emotion that you have, like, like, okay, I'm afraid of something. Okay, why am I afraid of that? Or what's underneath that? Or anger. You know, you keep going, what's underneath that? And there's, you know, like a very basic, like for instance, you know, I would sit down. Uh, and and just ask these deep questions and start crying and allowing the emotion to come and I would just you know be crying and and it would I would narrow it down to this fear I had when I was a kid that maybe my parents hated me you know or because I'm bad and all the situations when our parents punished us or they got mad we interpreted as us being bad. And it, it wasn't the case. They're human beings with their own problems. And, and it is not about us. And the other thing about that is that we have parts of ourselves that say, oh, don't go there because 
it's dangerous and you don't want to have that feeling. And they're like these big, dumb guards that, that they don't realize that they're really not needed anymore because you're grown up and you can manage, but they're there. And we think that they're the enemy. We think that they're there to make us feel bad and to, to prevent us to be scared of life. But they're not the enemy because they were there to protect us. And why would they want to protect us? Because they love us. So it really, even our deepest fears are about a part of ourselves that love us enough to want to protect us. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you, Brian. Sure. And we just, we look at this, this I am bad belief a lot here at Awakening Together and just allowing all those emotions to come up and express themselves as a way to allow them to pass through. You know, intense emotions have never killed us. <laughs> and, and what sees those emotions? What is it that allows emotions to pass through? Yeah. Really, you you hit the nail on the head. That's the core question. What 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 is this? What sees these emotions? What knows my experience? What is that? And is it ever affected by any emotion that goes through it? That's right. It's like a mirror. It's yeah. You're right. It's not. It's okay with whatever you feel, which is why that paradox can happen. You can be happy even when you're sad. It sounds crazy, but you don't have to be, oh, I'm smiling all the time. There can be, you can have emotions. You can be angry, you can be sad, but you can know that they're not you, that they're passing, they're, they're clouds and you're the sky is, is my favorite analogy for emotions. They pass through and the sky's unaffected. Yes. And one of my favorite games in your new book is the Staff of Raw, R-A-A. Could you yeah. speak to us about that? Sure. Well, you know, this, this all came from trial and error with myself seeing, you know, okay, what worked. And I realized that, first of all, if I'm tense physically, that's going to get in the way. So the first step was just simply relaxing. Relaxing the body, taking some deep breaths, scanning the body for where, for wherever I'm I'm holding on or clutching or tight. Um, so relaxing would be step one, and then I, I call it uh, allowing, which is and you all you don't have to do this forever. You can just do it for five minutes, just for now. Can I allow everything to be as it is? including how I feel, including what I'm thinking, whatever, everything just, okay, I'm not trying to change my experience right now, I'm just allowing. And then the third, awareing, is turning your attention around to the clear field in which all experience appears. And not only turning your attention to it, but you do sort of like a second turnaround. You turn around once to look inside, but then once you see it, you turn around again and you look out at, at the world or at your experience as that. You identify with the clear field of awareness. So that's why I just called it collectively awareing, looking inside at awareness, turning around and just being, being that. So 
when you think of, okay, relaxing, allowing, awareing, you practice them each individually till you get good at them. But pretty soon you can just say, rah, and you're there. Ding. That's wonderful. I love it. Um, Awakening Together has a, a similar exercise called Rest, Accept, and Trust. We call it RAT. So, <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> isn't it great? So yeah. same thing. It's, it's relaxing or resting the thinking mind, allowing the experience, allowing what's here, and then trusting that it's for our healing. And same as you, we practice each one in the beginning, and then it's pretty soon you just go, RAT, RAT. Yes, right, right. I used to call it swooming because like I used to go swoom yes. and that's there, but that, that's not as quite as mnemonic, but I love rat. I'm going to try that one myself. <laughs> and swooming was one of my favorites in your first book. <laughs> oh, I had that, oh, I have it all highlighted and underlined. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And just how important is relaxing? Because anytime yeah. um, my attention is on thought, the body shows this contraction, this, this withdrawing, this holding. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then your, your things don't just move through you. They don't, you, they, yeah. When you're, when you're not relaxed, it's like, um, well, you know, it's like the analogy of the, the, the stiff, dry twig that breaks if you bend it or the supple one that just moves with the wind. Yes, beautiful. So how about we open it up to see if anyone else has questions? Oh, great. Okay, would anyone like to, if you could um, put on your electronic hand, if you have a question for Brian? Uh, Rhoda, please. Hi, Brian, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Um, I had heard you say early in the interview, um, or maybe it was the way Shauna described you, and I had read in your books um, that you often describe yourself as formally depressed. Right. So I was wondering, I am curious about the transition. How... Like, how, what did that arc look like? Maybe you could take us through that. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I certainly have to admit that I did go through years of psychotherapy, and that definitely took the edge off because basically it was a safe place to have your emotions. But it didn't go all the way for me. It didn't go all the way until I learned the idea, the, the sort of the self-inquiry part of it, the being awareness part of it. But once I learned that, I, I realized that we think of depression as a separate emotion. And I don't think depression is an emotion. I think depression is a strategy not to have emotion. So we, we, we don't want to feel anger particularly. We don't want to feel anxiety or fear. And so we come up with ways to dampen ourselves, to, to sort of like put a lid on everything. And then we don't, we don't experience life fully because we've got, you know, everything sort of 
tamp down. And I know for me, when I was depressed, I, I was really tired all the time and slept a lot. Although I know for some people, it's the opposite. When they're depressed, they, they can't sleep. But for me, it was, uh, it was, you know, all I wanted to do was sleep. Uh, and it really was a combination of the knowledge that you had to have your emotions, you had to allow them to be there and the ability to look at the clear background in which they appear. And little by little, depression sort of faded away. And I realized, oh, wow. <laughs> even, even if I'm you know, angry at something, or even if I'm anxious about some practical thing or afraid, I, I'm not depressed about it anymore. I'm not, my life isn't like on hold. Just, oh, okay. Uh, and my, my friend Bridget, who's a wonderful teacher of, of inner voice dialogue, Bridget Dingle Gaspard, we have this term called Rolls-Royce skills. Like, you know that, okay, when it comes around, you know you have the tools now. You know you can say, okay, I'm not this feeling, but this feeling is here. Take a breath. Notice where it appears, and not only that, notice what else is in awareness right now. You have this emotion, but you also have sounds. You also have the sensations in your body, and it's all appearing in the same field. And when you include as much as possible in your field of awareness, the emotion is that much smaller in proportion to everything. I just have to say thank you for that new description for depression. You had said something in your book about um, words being the great limiters or limitations, yeah. something like that. I love yeah, that. And yeah, when yeah. I just heard you describe depressed, never in my life had I thought about it, but that is actually what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so it's like depressing a button. Like, yes, yes, exactly. That's a depressing. That's yeah, so good. Literal. <laughs> that's so good. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Brian. Yes, that was enlightening. Oh my gosh. Depression is just pants, uh, yeah, pushing a button. And I love that because that was one of my other games. You're include, include, include from the original game, right. include everything. Again, yeah. because that makes that one little issue seem smaller when you're aware of what's actually all going on. Yep, yep. And it also redirects your attention to, yes. to the background, the ground of being. Yeah. So who else has a question for Brian? Nobody at this moment. Okay. So at any time anybody wants to ask a question, just please just put up your electronic hand. That'd be awesome. Um, let's see. In your new book, explain the phrase in, back, down, and out. <laughs> well, that sort of came about because I don't know when I decided to call the book awareness adventures like all of a sudden all these geographical and travel and discovery kind of images um started to pop into my mind so 
I thought in down and uh, in what was it in <laughs> I didn't in back in down. back down and out yeah, yeah right it's sort of like the four directions you know east west north and south and um, in is is looking within a down is dropping below the neck. You know, instead, you know, taking it out of the head and into the body and the heart. Uh, at back is turning your attention to the background of experience and being that. And out is looking out at the world and seeing that that is also in awareness and is made of awareness. And since awareness is what you are, it's also you. So they're just sort of like little, little things you can play with to, you know, to redirect you there. Excellent. Here. Very nice. Thank you. The um, awakening game that uh, Regina came up with that we're playing this week, actually the last two weeks, is, is awareness and object. So last week it was looking at awareness and looking at the objects around us and is awareness an object. And then right. this week we're looking in the body. Is the body in, is awareness in the body as an object? So it's cool to look at both of those and see that awareness is not an object. Yeah. Well, those are both so good. That's just perfect. And, and looking at the body, like, because, you know, the, the biggest, strongest sense of I is the body. I am this body. And we realize that that sense of myself as the body is actually a thought in awareness, along with everything else in awareness. And somehow you just, you expand, you become bigger. I call it the little me and the big I. You know, you sort of like, you're just ex expanding to include the body. And if the body, if, you know, who has a body? Who is this me that has a body? So those two that you just described, those are, those are perfect. Fun stuff. And I did want to mention in the chat, you can search on Spotify for the awareness explorer. Yeah, someone yeah. asked in the chat if it was on Spotify, but I said yes, but I forgot to mention the name. Okay, got it. And sign up, please. So one of the things we also are big about here is discernment, true discernment, in fact. And I'm wondering, are there any discernment games or a way to make discernment into a game? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by discernment. So there probably are, but I but let's let's talk about what is discernment. Right action, like you're following the right-minded. Okay. Yeah. Something that's helpful for the whole or helpful that guides you to awakening um, as opposed to wrong-minded. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely believe in the principle of doing the right thing. And that is with or without non-duality or with or without spirituality. I mean, when in doubt, do the right thing. But what is the right thing? I think the right thing is that which brings about the most 
happiness and helps reduce the most suffering for all beings. But sometimes it's hard to know that. And when we sort of leave the, the analytical mind and just go back to being awareness that it's all happening in, and when we see that if awareness has, has no qualities of its own, and the awareness looking out of your eyes has no qualities of its own, then they're identical. And the next step is maybe not only are they identical, but maybe they're all, they're the same thing. So if what you are basically is identical to what I am basically, then what I do to you, I'm doing to me. And this can inform the choices we make in the world when we interact with each other, because it will come out of unconditional love. It's, you know, it's, it's, you are me. So if I hurt you, you know, who am I hurting? Anything but me. So I think that you should, I think that that's one way to do it. And there's another way that I'm not sure if this is totally zeroing in on your question, but um, I think it's really important. A lot of people say, well, allowing everything to be as it is, means you don't take any action in the world. And I think it's a misunderstanding. I think that allowing everything to be as it is, one of the things to allow is that sometimes we're called upon to act, to help. The analogy I give is three guys are um, walking along a riverbank and there's a child in the water drowning. And one guy says, um, it's God's will that that child fell in the water. It's not up to me to do anything about it. The second guy says, oh my God, how did this happen? How, why aren't there guardrails? Where is that child's parents? This is just wrong. And I'm wearing my new suit, so I can't do anything about it. And the third guy says, okay, it may be God's will that that child fell into the ocean, but it's also, I mean, into the river, but it's also God's will that that child fell into the river in view of an able-bodied adult who can swim and you jump in. And, and that's what you're called upon to do. So allowing everything to be as it is must include what you're called upon to do in life to help others. I hope, does that answer question at all? That was beautiful. Thank you, Brian. Another misrepresent or misperception that I hear about allowing everything is is well. That means I have to agree with what's happening. Oh right. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it's tricky, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the fact that I don't agree with what's happening is part of <laughs> what's happening that I allow. It's like it's like my own resistance is something that I can let go of resisting. It's it's a little tricky and paradoxical, but yeah. Yeah, it is. And Susan has a question. Thank you, Susan. 
I, hi, I don't really have a question. I just wanted to give a shout out to the Awareness Explorers. I've been listening to you and I love your podcast and especially your meditations. And I think 99, episode 99 on thoughts and emotions, that was such a, a brilliant, I mean, there's all of them are, are, are wonderful. So, but you make it so easy because you can download the podcast and then you separate out the meditations so you can listen to those separately and I use them consistently. And so I'm so grateful. I love your voice and I was so excited to see that you were on tonight. Um, I had a friend, I was just introduced to you through a friend who gave me a book, probably your first book, The Awareness Games. Uh -huh. um, oh, maybe it was three years ago. So, and um, yeah, I love it. So thank you. Well, thank you, Susan. I've been really, enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, so gratifying to hear. And uh, yeah, can't wait to tell difference. Jonathan about what you said too. Yeah, it makes such a difference. So thank you. Yeah, such a fun. gift. Such a gift. That's fun. Thank you, Susan. And Rhoda. Rhoda's always got questions about things. Questions, questions, questions. Um, I happen to notice that you indicated somewhere along the line that you didn't feel yourself to be extremely disciplined. <laughs> and that was why one of the game that's why the whole game thing was so appealing for you. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you see discipline or lack of discipline playing yeah. into all of this. Well, I do admit that it's very different for everybody and that some people are quite disciplined and some people are really feel that it's important every day at 6 a.m. to meditate for an hour. And it's great if they if that's them, they should, but it wasn't me. Um, I, I just somehow, like I would tell myself I would do that and then I would end up not doing it and then I would end up feeling bad about myself. And um, then I started studying with Locke Kelly, who was a wonderful teacher here in New York, who studied with many Tibetan Buddhist teachers as well as with Adyashanti. And he used to talk about small moments many times a day. And I said, well, you know, he's right. I can, even if I'm not good at picking the exact same time and the exact same length of my meditations every day, that doesn't mean that any time I feel something I don't want to feel, I can't do the inquiry. I can't ask, in what is this, what is this being experienced in? I can't direct the attention and then identify with the background. And so I realized, well, okay, instead of despairing, in other words, I fell back into the trap of, oh, I'm not the person who can have this discipline. And then I felt bad about myself. And then I thought, how am I going to change myself? And I fell back into the same old trap. How do I fix myself? And so, but I was determined. I mean, being happy was my one goal in life. And I had a educated guess that this self-inquiry, this shift in identity was the key. But I, I came up with my own ways to sort of circumvent that lack of discipline by giving myself triggers throughout the day. Like, 
soon as I had an emotion I didn't want, ask the question, drop into the background, be awareness. Or as soon as I walked into a spiritual bookstore, <laughs> oh, maybe it's not something I need from those books to come into me. Maybe it's something, or simply every time I walk down a long hallway, I mean, I worked in, a, in an office building in New York, and I live in an apartment building. So walking down a long hallway was something that happened many times a day. So I just used that little trigger. And I would imagine the hallway moving through me instead of me moving through the hallway. So, you, so I just found my ways to sort of like, okay, I can do this without the self-discipline that other people bring to it because it's not in my nature but it's not in any way to put down people who have that discipline and i admire them i just really appreciate the playfulness of yeah. your approach to you know discipline and i just the example you just gave i just kind of went wait what the hallway moving through me let me try that <laughs> right. it's good on buses too <laughs> It's probably good in cars too. Just absolutely. Is it coming through me? Yeah, right. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's the playing around for yourself. You try it and see. Might not work for some people, or it might work today and not tomorrow. So, you know, you have a bunch of them. Can I? I'm sorry. Can I ask another question, Jonathan? Of course. Any? Yes. Yes. So, because your your use of imagination is just so intriguing to me, there's a, just kind of this light excitement about it, and it seems to come so naturally to you. Is that is that kind of how it works through you, or does it, you know, is that something I is there some something I can do to help kind of gin up that sort of playful, desireful, fun? Well, probably are a bunch of things. It didn't always come naturally. So you have to know that, you know, sort of be patient. Um, you have to say, well, you know, maybe I don't have to get this right this time. Uh, you have to know, you have to give yourself permission to be the expert on what works for you. Um, and the other thing is, you have to realize that I don't have to know how to do this forever. I only have to figure out how to do this now for a few seconds. And it's like, it's like a pan with drops of oil. You put a drop of oil here and you put a drop of oil there and you put a drop of oil there. And then one drop is next to another and it touches and it forms a bigger drop and, and a bigger drop. And eventually all those little drops of oil just sort of congeal into one big drop. And, and you realize that all of a sudden, what was just little moments, many throughout the day are sort of creating this kind of perfume that's actually wafting through your experience, even when you're not intentionally doing the games or the meditations. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Sure. Thank you, Rhoda. That was one of the things I was going to comment on, um, Brian, is these games begin working without me efforting. Right. You know, there's there's an effort in the beginning, like you said, setting triggers to remember. 
But then pretty soon it just happens. Oh, this is in awareness. Yeah. Awareness is here. It starts working on you, on us in such a beautiful, natural way. Yeah. And when you, and when you spend, when you connect with that sort of joy and you can sort of do it, you know, at first it may take a few minutes to sort of walk back to it, but uh, when you sort of, when you sort of get into the habit, you can do it a little bit more effortlessly. Um, you're, yeah, it starts to pervade your whole life and experience, even, well, I guess I already said this, but even when you're not doing it. And there's another uh, metaphor that I like to use because um, I'm not big on, on the idea that I have to achieve a state of awareness permanently. Uh, and that's, that's something that will help when you sort of let go of that idea that helps with the lightness and the metaphor I use for that is an infinitely refillable water bottle. Awareness itself is like an infinitely refillable water bottle whenever you're thirsty you grab it and you take a drink, but you actually don't have to walk around with a bottle to your lips 24 seven. It's there when you need it. And when you sort of, when you do it enough, you relax because you know it's there and you don't have to worry, am I in this state all the time? Yes, great point. I can relax because I know it's always there. Yeah, right, right. Beautiful. And then another fun thing, the very last of your new book, Awareness Adventures, you have Dorothy's Discovery. Dorothy, <laughs> of course, from The Wizard of Oz, which just caught my eye because we've been playing that very same clip from The Wizard of Oz. Um, you've always had the power to go home. And it's true. This, it's just so beautiful. Um, come home. You never actually left. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I find that whole thing a beautiful memory. I mean, a beautiful metaphor. Plus the fact that, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I loved The Wizard of Oz. And um, in sixth grade, I was the cowardly lion in the school play. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, we it's because we think we're going to, that there's something out there we're going to get. And it's something in here, it's home. It's what we are. It's already there. It's always been there. And we travel looking for it and come around full circle to realize, oh, it's here. And that's just like Dorothy. If this is like the end of The Wizard of Oz, what you just quoted, Dorothy saying, yeah. Yes. And, and uh, you know, the, the good witch says, um, oh, well, actually, Dorothy says, how come you didn't tell me this before? And the good witch says, because you had to find it out for yourself. Yeah, good point. I forgot about that line. Yes. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you do have to, you do have to. And that's why you can't just learn the the Advaita non-duality terms and be there. You have to experiment on yourself and try it and experience it. Yes. 
That's true. So I wondered if you would be open to guiding us in a little med meditation, a gamified meditation. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Awesome. Did you did you have any particular ones in mind, or I have a few I, that I thought I might do? But if no, you I just requests. love your voice. So oh, thank you. <laughs> perfect for meditation. So whichever one comes to you. You know, I'm just looking at a at a list I sort of made up before in just in case and i'm trying to think of you know i think that the one the one that uh seems to me to help so much because a lot of people have trouble with locating awareness you know like turning attention to awareness is just like very hard to do and i think that there's something that you could do and i call it triangulation that helps so yeah i'm gonna now i i usually like to read these meditations um i know a lot of people sort of sit and channel them and have them come through but if you don't mind I, i'm actually going to read it from the book absolutely great okay so uh first Take a nice, easy, deep breath and notice if there's any tension holding or clutching in your body and gently let them soften and relax. And starting with your eyes closed, listen to the sounds around you. Maybe the hum of a fan or a heater or the sounds of traffic or birds or wind outside or the sound of my voice. As you notice the sounds that appear, ask yourself, what is the silent field in which the sounds appear? Notice each sound separately and ask the question, what is the silent field in which this sound appears? Now see if you can notice all the sounds at the same time and ask yourself, do all the sounds appear in the same silent field? And notice your bodily sensations, the feel of your body on the chair or your feet on the floor. Or maybe there's a breeze on your skin or the rise and fall of your belly as you breathe. And as you notice the sensations that appear, ask yourself, what is the empty spacious field in which these sensations appear.
notice each sensation separately and ask the question, what is the empty spacious field in which this sensation appears? Now see if you can notice all the sensations at the same time and ask yourself, do all these sensations appear in the same empty spacious field? Now see if you can notice both the sounds and the body sensations at the same time. Ask yourself, is the field in which sounds appear the same as the field in which sensations appear? This is the clear field of awareness. It's not two different fields. It's one field, sensations of the body appear sounds appear together. Now notice what thoughts are appearing now. Just imagine for now that the thoughts are coming from somewhere outside of you and are, are projected on a blank screen inside you. Imagine that that screen has both sound and subtitles. So you can either hear or read each thought that appears. Imagine the screen is like a clear, empty field in which thoughts appear. As you notice the thoughts that appear, ask yourself, what is the blank empty field in which these thoughts appear? Now see if you can notice both the thoughts and the body sensations at the same time. And ask yourself, is the field in which thoughts appear the same as the field in which body sensations appear? Then see if you can notice both the thoughts and the sounds at the same time. And ask yourself, is the field in which thoughts appear the same as the field in which sounds appear? Now see if you can notice all three, the sounds, the sensations, and the thoughts 
appearing at the same time and ask yourself, are these all appearing in the same clear, empty field of awareness? If you can notice all three at the same time, you realize they're not three awarenesses. It's just one clear, empty field in which all three of these experiences appear. That field is your true nature. Clear, spacious, silent, allowing. Now, if your eyes are closed, gently at your own pace, open them again and take another nice, easy, deep breath. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. So welcome, Shauna. There's that causeless joy. <laughs> I love you at causeless, right? <laughs> exactly. So would anyone like to share their experience with that meditation or any questions? Oh, please, Tatiana. Well, uh, meditation was very clear, really, really easy. And um, I didn't even feel when you said in this empty field, it was always feeling it's in me. It's always feeling in me. And I, it, was, it was fun. It was good. It was pleasant. But I want to share with you that I bought your book like a few years ago, and I tried those games. And it didn't work for me. I tried many of them. Nothing worked for me. So mm -hmm. I left your book. Then uh, in our gentle healing, we started to do games with uh, Regina about uh, Rupert Spirer book from Rupert Spirer book. And it didn't work for me again. I don't know what's wrong with me. Nothing wrong with you. Um, but what I found, and I don't know if this is true for you, but from my experience, when I sit down and do a game or a meditation and it doesn't work, it's usually because of one or two things. It's usually because something is going on that I don't want to be happening and I want it to change or some experience that I don't have now 
is something I'm hoping to have. And that's usually what's happening. And so when I just say, okay, what if I had absolutely no expectations of this, no desire to change anything, no um, effort, no uh, intention, a result, and that's when all of a sudden things start to sort of ease up. And as a matter of fact, just doing that alone is enough. You don't even have to keep going with the game. I, I, I appreciate that a lot because I do recognize that in the morning, my meditation like flows so easily for an hour and more and so on. And sometimes I do it at night. It never happens because probably stuff accumulated during the day just, and I expect it to happen and yeah. it doesn't happen. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's sure. Thank you for the question. Beautiful question. Thank you, Tatiana. Anyone else like to share their experience with the meditation? Or any other questions? Uh, I'll experience, um, I'll experience <laughs> your meditation. <laughs> In the beginning, it's so funny because I've noticed this before. Attention wants to land on one experience, the sound. And it doesn't want to include the sensation or to go to the sensation. It doesn't want to include the sound. And so I just really relaxed for me. The key was to relax. And then um, you said something about not being three different awarenesses. It's all within awareness and then something inside relaxed. Oh, and then I could be aware of it all at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's a fun one. I'm going to play with that. Thank you. Good. I in the book I extend it to quadrangulation, where I add the visual field, and then at the very end, I have the same exact thing, but extended a little more. I call it quintagulation, where I include the sense of yourself, which is just simply another appearance in awareness, along with sights, sounds, body sensations, thoughts. That's so lovely. I'll have to look that one up. So is there something beyond awareness? <laughs> what a good question. I don't really know. I My guess is no. Everything is awareness. Awareness is all there is. Or you could say consciousness, uh, if you prefer. But um, it doesn't mean, I mean, it, I don't think there is. And yet, at the same time, there's a sense that every time I look there and be there and identify with it, it deepens in some way. And I can't quite, my mind can't quite describe why that is, but it, it, it's, I sense it. What do you think? Is there something behind, beyond? Well, it's, um, it's beyond words. So I think words for me, the closest it would come to is isness. Yeah, yeah. Is. 
theme. I don't, um, it doesn't seem like that needs awareness. It already is. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because you now have let go of the idea of awareness as a thing and you're just being. So yes, I think that's, that's probably the perfect answer. Yeah. Of course, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because you're humble, right? <laughs> yes. But, but it's I'm... also because you know how to drop, you know how to drop down out of the analytical brain, which is useful. You don't get rid of it. You use it to plan when to get to the airport, when to leave for the airport, but it's not useful for connecting with your true nature. Yes. We're learning to use the mind as a tool instead of the mind using us as a tool. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, anyone else have any questions? Um, I'm, I'm wondering, oh, good, Rhoda, please, thank you. I'm almost embarrassed to raise my hand again. So, that's okay. We're just going to let that feeling rise for a little while. Mm -hmm. uh, when you spoke about the quadragulation, I'm not going to say that word, right? And you and Shauna were just speaking about dropping all concepts. The question that pops in is, in everyday living part of the way that it feels like disconnection happens is the popping into the analytical mind and staying there so what tools or do you even do anything in particular for yourself to kind of loosen that desire to constantly be labeling like shauna was saying earlier you look at a tree you don't experience a tree you call it a tree you give it a name you label it a thing but so much of interaction with people feels like it's here it doesn't feel like it's here that's right you know what yeah, i'm saying absolutely um you know it's funny because there's actually three different things that come to mind when you say that uh i um used to have conversations with people and not totally pay attention to them. Um, partly because I would become fascinated with their faces. I just like, I get so interested in people's faces and I just look at them and I just, and I stop listening to the words they say. And then when I just said, well, okay, that's not good because I wanna have a real conversation to connect with this person. When I started, look experiencing them from awareness so i would and it seems counterintuitive i'm turning my attention away from them into the awareness in which their words appear for some strange reason i had no trouble paying attention to the words that they were saying and getting their meaning and understanding them and connecting with them so i find being awareness helps to connect with people and the other thing is, um, is the body. That would be the other tool. 
Because when you notice your body sensations, a body sensation can only be experienced now. It's not in the past, it's not in the future, and, it's, and it can be experienced wordlessly. So wordlessness and by, combined with noticing body sensations is the quick, best, easy way to get out of your analytical mind. And then the last thing is a game I play called the circle of this. And I imagine there's a circle. And in the circle is this. And what I mean by this is now, here, this. Now, period, here, period, this. What's happening now? What's happening here? And what's not this is thoughts about the past, thoughts about the future. And so I just play a game. I say, okay, I'm in the circle of this. How long can I stay here? And your mind takes you into the past. Your mind takes you in the past, into the future, and you just gently bring it back into the circle of this, which is now, which is here. And again, wordlessness really helps, and body sensations, even in that in that game. It just keeps coming back in what you said in your book about words being the great limiters or the great limitations. Yeah, they're handy little tools of separation. They're there to make distinctions between things. They poison, are. not poison. You know, <laughs> danger, safety. And they're useful. But if there's only one thing going on, then they can't act adequately describe ultimate reality. And you called it circle of this? Circle of this? Circle of this. Circle of this. How long can I stay in the circle of this? Meaning just this now here this is how we do fabulous it. thank you giving it back to you sean thank you rhoda and i just wondered um we we just put the two links into the chat for your two websites playawarenessgames.com and awarenessexplorers.com and if anyone would like to make donations we can collect those and send them to you brian to help support your games and your teaching and your meditations and all that you do appreciate that so much and um i just love that the emphasis in your new book there's at least two emphasis in your new book the philosophical and the practical you know we already are pure awareness unconditional love that allows all so we when we turn our attention to this, the joy is that universal awareness that floods back in, like you've spoken about so beautifully. So there's lots of little ways to connect with this, this causeless happiness. And these games are so helpful for me. I appreciate all you've done to bring this to our awareness. Is there anything else you'd like to like to uh, share with us? The only thing is, it's just been so much fun to talk with everybody here because, you know, I've been just, we seem to be very much on the same wavelength here. And, and uh, you know, like whenever you say something, I oh, totally get it, you know, and it seems vice versa. So it, it, it's just fun for me. And so I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, um, to chat with you all and share it and play around with it.
Yes, we're so in alignment. That's what makes it so much fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and is there anything coming up in your life that you'd like to share with us? Um, well, I'm working on the audio book, um, but that's, you know, that takes a while. And um, uh, next November, I'm going to be traveling to Taiwan. So I'm actually learning Mandarin. <laughs> and that like takes up a lot of my day and it's so much fun but hard but so yeah. yeah i don't i don't just sit you know and just sort of zone out all day long <laughs> you know do a lot mm -hmm. of stuff and i still you know practice singing even though i'm not performing at the moment because it's just singing is one of the most fun things in the world you can do oh can you sing us a little tune <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't have mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, I've been on the spot. Um, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, I have an idea. Okay, I'm not gonna sing this well. I'm just gonna sing this not in my warmed up, you know, voice. Let me think, see if I can remember it. It's very clear, our love is here to stay, not for a year, but ever and a day. In time, the Rockies may crumble, Gibraltar may tumble, they're only made of clay, but our love is here to stay. I always thought that great song by George Gershwin was like a non-duality song. <laughs> That's awesome, yes. <laughs> But uh, Glenn Genaway that's in the room here and his love Yolanda, they have Sounds of Awakening once a month where they invite guests to come on and Yolanda sings and she writes her own music. So we'd love to have oh, you join us on Sounds of Awakening. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have Glenn get a hold of you. Sure. Fun, fun. Okay. Are there any other questions or comments? Glenn has his hand up. Oh, thank you. I didn't see it because of the spider. Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead, Glenn. Glenn, are you there? Glenn. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Sorry. So my microphone was off. Ah, sorry. So this <laughs> this is Yolanda. And uh, Glenn's over here on the couch and we're sort of chilling out. But I just wanted to say to Tom, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, this is, I mean, to Brian, thank you so much. This has uh, really been an amazing uh, night for us and we've enjoyed you so much. And we do have a lot in common. Um, I am a singer songwriter and I do have a music program here on, um, you know, Awakening Together. And so I'm gonna email you and see if you would be willing to come on and sing uh, on my program. <laughs> well, see, I, haven't, I haven't performed in about a year, but a year ago in October, I did a cabaret show called The Zen of Show Tunes. Oh, how awesome. <laughs> okay, well, we're gonna revisit that if you don't mind. And um, I guess I can find uh, an email for you on one of your websites there. Can I contact you that way? Sure, sure. I, uh, okay. you can you can go to playawarenessgames.com. Yes, and, that's and okay. I was on your website. Reach me there. through there. Also, okay. Lynn has my email address. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful, Brian. Thank you so much. This has been sure, such a Glenn. joy. Okay. 
<laughs> Good night. Right. That'll be fun. Okay, Brian, thank you so much for giving us an hour and a half of your time tonight. We enjoyed it so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shauna. And thanks, everybody. It was so much fun. We look forward to uh, playing your games and thinking of you as we do. Great. Great. <laughs> okay.